Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast. Please visit thelegendarium.com to check out our wares. Go to Patreon, Discord, all that is through there, thelegendarium.com. Today, we're dipping back into the author shelf series. The book is Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, and it was selected by our first guest. And the jury's still out on him, but I suspect he's mostly made up of orange spores meant to colonize the entire world. It's author Ryan Van Loan. <laughs> How you doing, Ryan? Hey, everyone. Good, good. You've uh, you've made my job of uh, taking over the human race a little more difficult, but but we'll survive. Well, that's right. Yeah, exposure is the first step to to uh, defeating you. Uh, and I can't tell you how glad I am not to share a psychic link with him because, uh, you know, yikes! It's Ken Johnson. I thought you were going to say. Speaking of exposure, no, but that, <laughs> those charges were dropped. So, thank goodness. <laughs> so, Ryan, you are the author of the brand new book that just came out a couple days ago called The Memory in the Blood. And this is part of a series, a conclusion to the series? It's a, yeah, it's the final volume in a trilogy called The Fall of the God series. Okay, all right. So we're going to hear a little bit more about that at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. Uh, if you're looking for new reading material, uh, then definitely stick around. But for now, let's talk Dreamcatcher. And don't worry too much about spoilers. I mean, the book is 20 years old, and we'll we'll talk more about why maybe you shouldn't worry too much about spoilers. But let's get into it. Dreamcatcher is a 2001 sci-fi horror novel by Stephen King. It tells the story of four lifelong friends who have been inseparable since middle school, especially since the day they rescued Duddits, a neighborhood boy with Down syndrome, from some seriously sadistic bullying. Not only did they befriend Duddits, but he also imparted to them a special gift, a sort of psychic bond between each other and the world around them. Now they're going to need those gifts because 20 years later, the four friends are on their annual hunting trip when, as is always the case in a cabin, in the woods, in a remote part of the world, in a Stephen King story, things go horribly awry. Angry, toothy worms and an invading, malevolent alien creature attack, bringing death and dismemberment, infection, possession, government quarantine, all the good stuff you want in a novel. Human so sacrifice. can the boys figure out what can? Dogs and cats living together. Anyway, That's right. You know. <laughs> can the boys figure out what's going on and stop it before the infection is let loose and ends life on Earth? Yeah, I'm betting they can. So... Ryan, I'm going to ask you the first question I always ask uh, an author shelf guest. Why did you pick this book? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's funny. It's one of the Stephen King novels that gets most panned, I think. Uh, and I think King mm. himself a couple of years ago kind of said, you know, in hindsight, wasn't his favorite. He was on painkillers from, you know, that accident that almost killed him and, and all those things. But um, it was the first Stephen King book I read. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, different books that have really influenced my writing. And I was, you know, maybe going to go with like Anne McCaffrey or uh, Robin McKinley um, or, you know, Jordan or, or one of the others. But honestly, the whole reason why I'm here, why I'm a writer is because I read this book and, um, you know, King had so much fun on the page. Like I just had never read a book that just like grabbed you, that like really held you through it. Um, there's definitely some, you know, there's some wrinkles there. It's not, it's not all smooth sailing, but for the first King book I read, it made me want to know more. And closely thereafter, I read on writing and between that and a couple of other things, uh, kind of made me realize, Hey, you know, maybe I can do this, this whole writing thing. 
And that's what got me to write my first book, which then got me to write, you know, six more. And then, uh, and then that eventually got me a publishing <laughs> deal. So for all of those reasons, uh, that's why I picked the book. And then, you know, I did a reread before we jumped on here because I haven't read it since, I don't know, I think it was probably back in 2000, let's say 2006, 2007, when I, when I read that first book um, for the first time. And, you know, I can kind of see, and we'll, we'll probably get into this, I can totally see why you know, college age Ryan was, was really drawn to that. I think there's a lot of stuff that plays to that experience, but um, yeah. So that's why I chose it because it was the thing that got me excited enough to go from lifelong reader to writer. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think there's something to the idea of, look, it doesn't have to be Stephen King's best work, but it can be something, even if you acknowledge that, it can still be something that is uh, nostalgic, that had an impact on you at just the right time. You know, you kind of, you come to these things, the, the right thing at the right time, and it has has a huge impact. I mean, I've told the story a million times of going to the theater at 15 years old and seeing the Fellowship of the Ring for the first time. You know, I'd never read The Lord of the Rings and and how it's like, a few things kind of funneled me toward that moment that just changed everything. Right. And so, yeah, it doesn't have to be the best thing in the world, but, uh, but those moments are great when they come along. Um, and also I, as far as I'm concerned, it's okay to love something, even if not everybody does, <laughs> including the author. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite movies is knowing the, I think it was 2008 or 2009. It was the this, Nick Cage uh, movie. Nick Cage, yeah, Nick Cage, end of the world, apocalyptic yeah. thing. And it was kind of ridiculous and weird. And everybody hated it. Uh, but me and Roger Ebert really loved it. So, <laughs> um, Ken, well, how did the book Ebert, go for you? Oh, sorry. We're, uh, yeah, oh, we no, got no, a little go, bit go of ahead. a delay. So I keep talking over Ryan. Ryan, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if, if you're with uh, Ebert, you're in good company. Although I haven't watched that one. So I might need to go back in the archives and pull it up. Oh. It is yeah. definitely worth a watch. It's well, yeah, it's yeah. I, I, we're going to get a lot of people on Discord being like, that is definitely not worth a watch. Uh, Ken, how did <laughs> well, it go? And it, how, how did this book? It's similar to Dreamcatcher, like you were saying. It's like it doesn't have to be everybody's favorite uh, as long as somebody likes it and there can still be value in it. This Ryan and I have uh, something in common. This is my first Stephen King novel as well. And uh, I'm a lot older than college age, but. I I read a lot of uh, people who who uh, panned the book, but honestly, I rather enjoyed at least uh, the first little bit of it. And I, in total, I enjoyed it. But the first bit of it for my first Stephen King experience, I thought I can see why people have have liked Stephen King as an author for so many years because it reads. We we've talked about how authors. Tend to re uh, tend to write these days very cinematically, as if they're they're trying to write the movie on the page. I feel like Stephen King writes very much as a storyteller, as an old time storyteller, somebody who is actually telling you the story. Let me tell you about this time that this thing happened. And so the very first third of this book, I think I'm really enjoying listening to this. I had to read it. the audio book. I, I had to do the audio book because I just didn't have time to read 26 hours of page. But <laughs> but it felt very much like like an old storyteller telling me a story. And I'm sitting here enraptured in it. 
Um, and then it kind of bogs down in there. It gets, gets kind of muddled, but overall very much enjoyed this story. And I maybe will go back and read more Stephen King, but this I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Ken. I think that the, that first third, um, is so for people who know the story, uh, you know, whether through this or through that, uh, immaculate 2003 film, uh, <laughs> Dream still Catcher. haven't seen it. I need to go see that. Oh boy. Did I watch <laughs> it last night? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but if you know the story, it's kind of like, once you get up to the, the possession, uh, who is it? Jonesy gets possessed yeah. uh, by the alien, mm. alien demon, whatever possessor thing. By <laughs> and, a great man. Uh, yeah, and like right up to there, I was super duper into it. I and I loved it kind of I, I I'm not a writer, but from that writerly perspective, I love seeing the craft that was you know, that went into his structuring, the POV shifts, how he can you you're talking about writing cinematically and um uh, just the, the way that he would kind of uh, switch the POV at a crucial moment and then backtrack and then catch up to the previous moment, you know, that previous cliffhanger and then go forward. And, you know, he, he structures that really well. Uh, Ryan, you said earlier that, that, you know, this was an influential book on you, but it's got its hiccups. Let's actually talk about that if it's all right. I think we're going to have a lot of good things to say, but what are those hiccups? What are the wrinkles, the things that kind of bog you down? Yeah, I mean, so... Stephen King writes two types of books. He writes books that are amazing, and then he writes books that have amazing parts, and this is the latter. And the reason is mainly due to what, what Ken kind of identified there, that the middle, and this is kind of a, a King trait, he kind of tends to wander. And I think that's partially because he's a discovery writer and partially because he's Stephen King, so nobody edits him as well as they would if he was, you know, a no-name first, yeah. first uh, book author. And so when he nails it, when, you know, the muse is there, it's just tight from beginning to end. And, and you, you know, you're just loving every minute of it. In this case, I think that opening act, and we should come back to this, is a masterclass in, um, in, in craft and writing and how you pull the reader in. And he's doing so many things in a nuanced way that, you know, like now looking back on it, having written so many books myself, I can see all these things. I definitely didn't see it when I read it for the first time, but I can understand kind of the magic tricks he was pulling that, that grabbed me. But yeah, that, that middle section, he just, you know, he takes a little bit too long to get to the point of, of the story. And there's some really interesting, he does a good thing here. He does this with a lot of his stories where he interweaves a present narrative and then kind of a past narrative that impacted and shaped the characters and that drives what they're doing today. And um, he kind of tries to have his cake and eat it too. He has this really impactful story about how these four friends met uh, their fifth friend and how that fifth friend who is a uh, special needs child you know, is being bullied and uh, they rescue him. And in so doing, they form this lifelong impact with this, with this uh, child who grows up with them and he turns out to be, you know, kind of this very powerful psychic force that imparts part of his um, powers onto the onto them, and they need it later on. So that's amazing. It's really powerful. Then he tries to tell like a second story of what they did together, and a third story, and those don't necessarily have the same weight, and it kind of takes away and slows things down. The other thing is, you know, I was in the military for um, for six years, and uh, King's military folks here especially in the beginning are super cliche um you know not very yep. interesting uh 
kind of like almost, you know, twirling their mustaches as they go. I think in act three, <laughs> he kind of gets back to where he started in act one. And that's where we really start to see these, these folks are interesting now. They're not just like, you know, the caricature of a bad villain, but man, that act two is, it is a little rocky. <laughs> There's a, yeah. the, in the, in the movie, they give Morgan Freeman, he plays like the evil military commander guy. They give Morgan Freeman these ridiculous, and I mean ridiculous eyebrows. Ryan, have you seen the movie? I, you know, I was trying to think back and I don't think I've ever seen the movie. Um, and I should have watched it before we jumped on here, but I didn't want to ruin it. Oh, no, it's okay. I, but I was, when you said they, uh, you know, they almost twirl their mustaches, I was like, not Morgan Freeman. He's up here on his eyebrows. <laughs> Twirling his kind of eyebrows. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, I, we might want to talk a little bit about them, or I might want to talk about the movie a little bit because I spent $4 renting the damn thing on Amazon. But uh, I wish you told me I would have come and we would have popped popcorn, man. <laughs> I need to see this movie. It's it got like, a great cast. So. It was like 10.30 last night. I stayed up way too late. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, makes a better recording, though. Honestly, come on. Yeah, no. Okay, so I, I have no idea where we were. Something about getting bogged down in the second act. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, it's that... Um, the previous story, the life story informing the current story, that stuff. I would have loved to, you know, we should talk to Scott Lynch about that sometime. He does that really well in his he books, does it right? All the time, yeah. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, it would have been great, I think, if he had gotten through all of that by the second act. So that, you know, by the end of the first act, we know where the powers came from. We know who Duddits is. We know what the event was with the bullies and all that stuff. Um, and then just drop it. Okay, now we know who we're dealing with and what their story is. And just go. Because, yeah, those, that, those times in the second act when he pulls back and he goes, what's the girl that, uh, that they found that they rescued? Yeah. You know? the, uh, the where it's just girl. like, you know, this. All right. It starts taking a while. Yeah, it starts to get muddy, bouncing back and forth. And you start to lose focus a little bit. I agree. That, that would have been good, uh, a good thing to stop earlier. Honestly, I found the... I found the the uh, the stuff in the past to be more compelling. I was really enjoying the uh, the dynamic between the friends uh, a little bit more than I was enjoying the suspense and thriller nature of of what was going on in the present. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I could have read a no, little more. No, I mean, about, I completely about agree. Them growing up. Well, and I think you know some is, of his, uh, st some of his best books are like that. Like um, it is, you know, these friends growing up together. Um, stand by me. There's there's a bunch of stand things. by me. I think yeah. it's that the kind of found family dynamic that he has going on. That's what pulls you in in Act One. And by you know spoilers, by Act Two, he's killed half the friends, and so he's kind of lost that that narrative kind of uh, that character arc in the background, that heart of the story that's pulling us, that's making us care. I think he's trying to win it back with that second story about finding this lost girl, but it doesn't really add anything. I think it would have been more interesting if yeah. he had had Duddits communicating with them kind of in the background sooner. Yeah, he, he kills off two of the, the buddies, but it, you get the sense that these are the two less important ones, even from the very beginning. Like, we're, we're made to care about Henry and uh, Jonesy. Uh, and then the other ones are like, yeah, you're a couple of screw ups. You're a drunk. You're, you know, your life is a mess, whatever. And so when they die, it's it's almost like what did you did you give us four friends just so that we could have two for shock value yeah so i get that but wasn't it uh 
wasn't it Beaver? He's the first one that dies. Wasn't it he that kind of spearheads everything, though? He sets everything into motion back in the past when he confronts the bully. Mm, yeah. So it's almost, it's almost a bummer that he, he does. He goes so quickly in the book, in my opinion. What am I getting more from him? I, but yeah, what are you gonna do? I, I wonder, and so like this is this is me, the author, analyzing. But I wonder if it's him discovery writing, and he didn't know who exactly was gonna gonna be the Jonesy, and I think it was half between Jonesy and Beaver, or you know he knew it all along, but having Beaver have you know kind of that stand up and cheer moment in the past, um, having him be the first one to go, maybe that really is kind of that gut punch that he was trying to go for to like let us know, yeah, these are the stakes, like no one's safe. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you guys want you want a word of the day? Should we do a word of the day, and then we'll sure. change change tack a little bit? Uh, do we have sure. to use the word of the day? Yeah, in I, sentence? no. But I I think you need Ken. I want you to special order word of the day toilet paper, um, and just Done. every every square has this on it. Uh, no, it's like Couldn't way back in, yesterday when it was Prime Day. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> Lord Bezos doesn't get more of your money. Uh, I'm sad. Uh, okay. Well, oh yeah, the word of the day came from early in the book. Uh, it's when Henry is he has a patient on his couch. The the guy who's eating himself to death, as he says. Um, yeah. And the word is eidetic. E i d e t i c. Eidetic. Uh, and it means I, it, it had me stop and, you know, which I wasn't expecting to necessarily uh, had me stopping to go check it out. And eidetic memory uh, is, you know, it's relating to or denoting mental images having unusual vividness and detail as if actually visible. So it sounds like a photographic memory, it's, but it's yeah, uh, not as long term as a photographic memory. This was new to me. So there you go, everybody. Word of the day. It's what people you commonly refer to as a photographic memory. They get the two uh, mixed up uh, quite a bit. Apparently they are different. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. I knew something that Craig didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Ken. Uh, <laughs> there we go. It happens once. You win the episode. All right. So let's nice. get to writing style. And I mean like prose style. Um, and how you guys feel about that? We talked about the structure a little bit. Um, we, you know, we talked about the POV shifts and that sort of thing. But what about, you know, the uh, kind of line by line? Because... This was, uh, much like Ken, and probably to a lot of people's surprise, this was also my first Stephen King book. Um, it's wow. one of those things, you know, I've, I've got a couple King books that are on my, my TBR, my to-be-read list. Uh, but when you run a, a book podcast for the better part of a decade, you know, things inevitably get pushed away forever. So, yeah, this is my first Stephen King book. Um, and I, I really quite enjoyed his style, but, uh, Ryan, let me kick it to you and ask you, is there anything, uh, from his style specifically that you, you know, try to emulate yourself or that you just enjoy as a reader? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think, so he always does this really good and, and it's difficult to pull off. Um, and I don't typically choose this for my openings because I think that, the the readership of today has shifted in our expectations you know referring back to the beginning talking about like cinematic writing and things like that but he he rarely starts with like an immediate action he typically starts with a character who's reacting to something and it's kind of that that uh you know shift from reaction to action and he just does this really in the prose, he does a great job of getting us inside that character's head right away. So even though they're reactive, which normally would not be the way you want to start a book, 
um, we're kind of hooked in and he's always really tight inside of people's heads. Even when he's head hopping, we're immediately inside this character's skin. They're fully realized we're, we're seeing everything through them. Um, that's definitely something in my writing that I think has, has influenced it. That, uh, that callback to the past. I am a huge sucker for that. I know we're talking about structure now, not necessarily about the prose itself, but, um, that's, that's found its way into my writing. I mean, I don't know that I would claim to to have King's prose style because there is only one Stephen King. But I do think <laughs> that, you know, he has a way with I think I think the one thing that I talked about at the very beginning and what I try to have in my writing is you can feel the energy and you can almost feel how much joy and fun he's having sentence by sentence, especially in the beginning. It's just boom, 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 you know, um, SSDD, like all these different things. Uh the way that he has Jonesy, you know, the first, I think after the intro, they have chapter one and like the first line is Jonesy saying, man, I wish I, I'm, I regret not killing this hunter when I see him, you know, sort mm. of thing. And then, yeah. you know, that's a pretty informative thing. But then the next thing, you know, like he's meeting the hunter, it's in the background, he's already moved on and he's kind of buried the lead by having us in the minutia of this hunter who's stumbling through. And again, all through Jonesy's thoughts and Jonesy's thinking a million different things. He's thinking about his leg hurting him. He's thinking about, you know, not really being into hunting. He's thinking about all these different things. And he, by the time we come back around to that hunter who kicks everything off because he's got this, you know, weasel inside of him, um, we've kind of, we've kind of forgotten it. And then it smacks us again, but there's that callback because we did read it. And so we remember it. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going on there below the surface that he has, you know, three or four things in every scene that are going on from the character's perspective. And I think King is great at grounding us in that character voice. And that's where the strength of the prose comes from, I think. Yeah. There's one thing that um, you said he gets into the character's heads really effortlessly and thus gets us into the character's heads effortlessly. And there's one thing that he does that I noticed that I don't see a lot of authors doing or maybe being allowed to do. It might get edited out of some people. Like you said, Stephen King, you know, he turns in a book and yeah, they might give it a light pass, but they're not going to, they're not going to tear apart a Stephen King book. Um, and that yeah. is parentheticals. So let me give you just a, a little example. This is, you know, it's a nothing example, but this sort of thing happens all the time in the book. Um, let's see. Uh, as well as that first beer of the day, Pete is waiting for November. Going to Washington in April had been good, and the moon rocks had been stunning. They still stun him every time he thinks about them. But he had been alone. And that bit, they, they still stun him every time he thinks about them. That's in parentheses. And it's something you don't get to see very often, but that's kind of how our brain works. Or maybe I'm a mutant. That's fine. Uh, but I feel like that we kind of go on these little uh, parenthetical... Uh, side roots in our thoughts a lot. And it's just a little thing that I wish mm. I saw more in prose style. Uh, these, these internal parentheticals. I really liked that about his stuff. I think you like them because it's the nature of our podcast to go on to parentheticals. In fact, that's what we should call them. Parentheticals. <laughs> no more tangents. <laughs> We're going on a parenthetical <laughs> now. Rework the wheel of tangents just with parentheses all around <laughs> it. Yeah. Wheel of parentheticals. <laughs> Um, no, well, you know, oh, I think you're right though. And go on. He, he does. He, yeah, no, I was just going to say like King does that a lot. He breaks a lot of the quote unquote writing rules when it comes to sentence structure and things like that. Like he just does whatever fits the story. 
And I remember, you know, as a, as a, a younger writer being astounded by that, like, you can do this, you can break these rules, you can do these different things. And, you know, I wouldn't say that yeah, I do that all last the time, is King. but I do do it to it. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, if you go back and read his early stuff, he was doing it from the very beginning. And, and maybe that's why he took a little bit to get published and get that first big deal. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely part of his framework. Yeah. It's always nice when an author has a recognizable style. I, I like that editors, you know, are, are there to help shape a novel and, and to, you know, midwife this thing into existence, something that's going to be, you know, the author's vision plus, you know, palatable to lots of readers. But I, there are times, especially depending on the publishing house, and I refuse to throw any of them specifically under the bus, but sometimes you can run into a publishing house that edits its younger or newer writers to death, where everything just kind of flattens out and it gets kind of bland. It happens. Um, and so it's, it's nice anytime, whether it's Stephen King or somebody who is newer or new to you. Um, it's nice when you find somebody who has a really uh, sharp sense of their own style. I, I like that a lot. Um, here, I'll, I'll give you guys, before we get off of um, writing style and, you know, pro style and all that, let me give you just one line that jumped out to me. And I was like, you know what? I guarantee he grinned and patted himself on the back when he came up with this one, because it's just such a great line. Um, this was uh, so so Jonesy has been uh, has been possessed by Mr. Gray and we get a lot of time in. So Jonesy has his like what Sherlock Holmes would call it a mind palace, you know, whatever. I can't remember what he calls it. But, you know, we're kind of get him in his own head, uh, getting chased around by Mr. Gray. Uh, it's all it's all very uh, bizarre and crazy and fun. Uh, but all right. Um but Mr. Gray is trying to like break down this, this mental door in Jonesy's head. And the line is, Jonesy was once more reminded of the story about the three little pigs. Huff and puff, Mr. Gray, enjoy the dubious pleasures of rage. <laughs> I was like, there's no way he didn't congratulate himself <laughs> on that line. Enjoy the dubious <laughs> pleasures of rage. Uh, and in parentheses, man, that's good storytelling. <laughs> good story Did you guys writing. ever see the, uh, the, the born... <laughs> supremacy i think it was the third movie in the in the born trilogy uh where the woman the cia woman goes to meet the cia guy in the restaurant and you know he orders a heart healthy omelet and she's like nothing for me and she like smacks him down delivers her big line and then walks away and goes enjoy your egg whites uh, and i always thought that was yeah. just such a great line <laughs> such a good delivery and so there you go enjoy the dubious pleasures of rage kind of hits similar all right. So, which is funny because th didn't he, uh, Mr. Gray later, he talks about how he enjoyed uh, emotion or enjoyed those emotions well and how he enjoyed, he, he enjoyed killing, you know, and he enjoyed flesh and he, you know, all of these things. So, so the idea that he enjoys, uh, enjoys rage really comes across as appropriate, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. So what uh, do, do we have anything else that we want to bring up for, from this book? Things that we want to talk about, just bullet points uh, that came to mind on this latest read through for you, Ryan, or on this first one for you, Ken. Uh, I've, I feel like I've uh, had a lot of say so far, so I want to just open the floor. I actually had uh, quite a few questions going through this as a brand new Stephen King author, I but having lived in a world where Stephen King is quite popular and a lot of his 
a lot of his material is is kind of in the common uh, common space. It felt, even though this is my first reading of any of his books, I felt like I was familiar with a lot of his stuff because isn't a lot of his uh, writing interconnected, kind of like a, a Stephen King Cosmere, if, if you will, <laughs> if we're talking sure. about Sanderson. Uh, he talks about Pennywise. <laughs> he talks about it. He talks about um, same thing. There are several things that he talks about. Now, that's that's um, the one I remember. That, they were called in other books. Plus, again, Stand By Me, he's got the same thing with four friends who have this dark secret and, and become lifelong friends and the kids in it. And the, uh, I think this references Tommy Knockers and uh, a few others in The Stand and stuff. It, it feels like, I don't know if I, it feels like a lot of his yeah. books are interconnected to me. No, you're not wrong at all. And, and, you know, I didn't pick up on it when I first, when I first read him back in the day, because I was, I was vaguely aware of it, but like I said, I really didn't, I knew Stephen King was a horror writer and that was pretty much it and kind of, you know, left it at that. And so, you know, you can enjoy the book without knowing that, but <clears throat> on the read through, having read now most of Stephen King's work, um, yeah, it actually hits, hits you a little bit harder in certain places and has some nice callbacks, but you know, the town of Derry figures prominently throughout the It series and a couple of other books that he has. And yeah, he does have this nice interconnected thing. And now, you know, he and his son, uh, Joe Hill are kind of have references to each other's worlds in their latest books. And so, you know, kind of hopeful to see his sons maybe carry that torch on and continue to, to build that out. And so, you know, for, for Sanderson fans, it is, you know, representative of kind of like that cosmic cosmere like experience and i think it's just it's easter eggs but it also is that added layer of depth for sure if you're kind of in on the on the lingo yeah once you really get to know everything the the one thing i wish that i'd gotten a reference to that you know i i still i feel like i should i should write him a letter and say you know you put all these references into this book and how dare you leave out the 1986 Stephen King directed masterpiece. And I do mean masterpiece maximum overdrive. I didn't see any references to maximum overdrive. And uh, I, was, uh, yeah, I was a little uh, sad about that. No, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm with you, Ken. It's, um, you know, like I said, first Stephen King book, but yeah, we've all seen 20 Stephen King based movies, right? So you kind of, yeah. you get, you get the idea at the very least. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Any other, uh, bullet points you guys want to bring up? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll just well, go back I, I... and say. Oh yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Ryan. Ryan. This delay, this <laughs> delay is fun. This is great. No, Ryan, Ryan, go for okay, it. Okay, go for it first, Ryan. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, like, I'd go back to to the, the beginning, and I think you know, if you're interested in the the craft of writing, I think studying those first few open chapters like what he's doing is is really worthwhile um and how he's kind of pulling these different threads and, and guiding the reader through you know that to me was was really big um really stood out to me and i think you know again not his greatest work but i do think that the story he's telling lends itself easier to study than some of his other things so just from from that perspective so if any writers or, or, or aspiring writers are listening i definitely go look at that um and then, you know, I think the other thing was, and I've kind of forgotten about this, but, you know, he actually does a really good job of tackling toxic masculinity before toxic masculinity was, you know, a thing that had a name, um, you know, with the kind of these jock bullies that are, are 
you know, trying to torture Duddits really before the, the friends intervene. Um, and then harkens it back to the modern day with, you know, the, the villain character from the military who's, you know, in there just to kill everyone and, and quiet everything down and, you know, is incapable of feeling and really sees, you know, any sort of emotion as weakness. Uh, again, he tips over into caricature a little bit when we get there. Um, but at the same time, you know, I thought it was really interesting just to see that. And what I liked was, and you don't see this that often, is it really was the story of, you know, four dudes who uh, love each other and are, you know, great friends willing to die for each other and and throw it all down. And the, the last thing that I'll say is that I think the book had a lot to say about kind of that transition into adulthood. You know, these characters are in their, I think their late 30s at the book, but like, because they have this shared history together that they, they reconnect once a year around, it really did feel like kind of that, that transition from, you know, childhood, high school, adolescence into full on adulthood. And again, I think college age, Ryan, I can totally see why, why that was hitting home with me because I was, you know, in the midst of that transition. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, with your military service, I'm sure you uh, have some experience with the male camaraderie that is so often lacking in many parts of our culture. Uh, you know, we're not allowed to be close, you know, men aren't supposed to be close and share emotion and, uh, you know, commiserate and all these things. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I've talked about that a lot, you know, even going back to the Lord of the Rings and, you know, Frodo and Sam's relationship or whatever. This comes up every so often. And I'm glad you called it out here because I think it was a great example of uh, of friendship, you know, long term friendship. And the the idea that they all they all know each other really, really well. And they um, they they know that the others are messed up in their own ways. I'm an alcoholic, I'm suicidal, I'm, you know, whatever uh, their different issues are. They all know that the others are messed up, but they're like, but they're there for them. And and they're not being judgmental. They're just, mm. you know, they're, like I said, commiserating. They're being there for each other. I think it's really a valuable thing to represent on the page. So yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Um, and uh, you, you were saying, I Ryan, well. that, you know, it dips into caricature. I, I think that's definitely true with the military madman guy. But with the teenage bullies, I I would have been tempted to think that that was getting too much into caricature until I read more about sociopathy and how it manifests in kids and teenagers. Um, and it is terrifying. <laughs> and it so it felt very familiar from what I'd been reading about that sort of thing. And you sometimes come across, you know, kids who are pretty, pretty awful, shall we say. So yeah, that, that part rang plenty true to me. Um, all right. So let me ask you this, Ryan, we'll, uh, we'll start wrapping this one up, but let me ask you if, if not this one, which Stephen King book, or maybe better yet, if somebody read this book and they were like, Hey, you know, I kind of enjoyed parts of this like we did, uh, but I'm not totally sold on King. Where should they go next? Yeah, I, you know, I should have anticipated that question. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a great question. Yeah, I would say if, if you hated the book, you're probably not going to like Stephen King. If you like the book, but you're like, ah, eh, you know, like, I can see like why this isn't known as his best book, then you should keep reading. Um, I would say, so let me see here. I have a couple of personal favorites, but they're not necessarily where I would recommend starting. I think um, Bag of Bones is a really good one. Uh, it's the story of this author 
who um, uh, his wife has passed away. He has, he's one of these guys, he wrote a bunch of books that were trunk novels and he actually hasn't been able to write since she passed away decades ago, but he's been putting out these old books and now he's kind of out of books and trying to figure out what to do. And he goes to this lake to try to write and kind of figure things out. And um, I don't want to give too much away from there, but I'll just say it has a lot of elements of The Shining. So if you're familiar with the movies, um, has some elements there and some callbacks, but I think it's, it's a really interesting one. And then uh, my personal favorite is this one called Lissy's Story. And it's about uh, a woman who is married to a famous author who died. And they kind of had this secret inner language, but he also had this kind of secret, what she thought was an imaginary world. And she discovers that, that maybe it wasn't imaginary after all when she's going through his papers a couple years after he's passed away. And he said he wrote that after his accident. He came home from the hospital. You know, I think he was in the hospital for like a month or two. And his, um, his office had been transformed into kind of an infirmary and all of his stuff was in boxes. And it just made him think, oh, if I had died, the same thing would have happened. And, and what was that like? So those are, those are two books that, you know, if you like this one, I'd suggest checking those out. And if you like those other ones, then I think you'll be hooked. Right on. I like it. Well, let's, uh, right. let's call it there on right. uh, Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. Uh, Ryan, thank you for selecting the book because, like I said, Stephen King kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And now somebody came along and said, no, you will read Stephen King. And I did. And I'm glad I did. I enjoyed it. Ken, you have one final thought? I wanted, I wanted to point out one thing that I noticed. Considering this book was written in 2001, I thought it was funny that uh, just random coincidence that Owen's wife and daughter were named Katrina and Rita, which were the two hurricanes, <laughs> you know, in 2005, like, oh. wow, pick two names. And then just coincidentally, those names come back. It's the Shinnin boy. It was just, it was just funny to me. I'm like, what? Holy cow. <laughs> look at hindsight. Yeah, that's cool. Um, all right. So yeah, Ryan, thank you very much for yeah. selecting this one. Now, I want to ask you more about uh, The Memory in the Blood, the new book that just came out. Tell us a little bit about it and pitch the series for listeners who might be interested. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the series is the Fall of the God series. Uh, starts off with The Sin and the Steel, and then the sequel is The Justice and Revenge, and then the conclusion here is The Memory in the Blood. So it's the story of a young woman. She's a street rat autodidact uh, who becomes the first private investigator in her world. Her name's Sam Bukina Bakalhura. Um, she has a partner in crime solving named Eld, who's a suspiciously good swordsman. And the series starts with them getting blackmailed by the most powerful trading company in the world uh, to solve this mystery that empires have failed to uncover. And what they don't realize is that Buck has reverse engineered this so that she can turn the tables on them. And along the way, she'll encounter pirate queens and mages and the undead, and then the gods get involved. And unfortunately for Buck, uh, the gods have plans for her. And unfortunately for the gods, Buck has plans for them. And so the series really is uh, her story of trying to upend her corrupt society because she grew up on the streets. She knows what the powerful uh, are capable of. And she wants to make sure that no one else has to grow up the way she did. So The Memory and the Blood is the final novel in that sequence. Um, it's kind of Buck navigating her life from thinking that she could go it alone uh, to realizing that, you know, it really does take a team to overthrow 
the existing power structures in the world. And so it's a question of can she find her found family and pull this ragtag team together in time to face down the gods before, you know, they destroy her and the world around her. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more going on than that, but I think that's probably a pretty good primer for folks that, that you know, aren't familiar with, with the work. Uh, you know, I think uh, the cover quote they went with, and I was, I was happy about this one because, you know, I'm a lifelong Gentleman's Bastard sequence fan, is um, it's like if Scott Lynch wrote Pirates of the Caribbean. So <laughs> if that sounds interesting to readers, you should probably go check it out. All right. Okay, I was already in, but now I'm more in. This is uh, awesome. Yeah, in Ken's case, we might say more on. Thank you, everybody. All right. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, Ken, I, un I unfairly pick on you too much, and I'm almost sorry about that. I really am. I'm, it's so close. So close. You know what? If, if I regarded what you thought of me, <laughs> then it would probably hurt. But... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's, it only uh, hurts I, a little. So, Ryan, yeah, the, the, uh, the pitch is a good one, I think. I especially like the idea of the... Um, it, it takes a village to overthrow the village elders, right? Like, you, there are things you can do on your own to affect change, but to do it bigly, it requires, you know, generally speaking, more than just you, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great concept. And I hope people go check it out. So the first book again is The, the Sin, Sin and the Steel. Steel. And uh that came out in okay. twenty twenty. All right. So Yep. So now I saw I saw one review, sorry, Craig, that said that it was a multi layered attack on adventure <laughs> tropes. So I'm like, okay, now, yeah, now fun. I'm in. <laughs> cool. Sounds... Well, uh, the last question for you, Ryan, and this is probably the most important thing uh, that I'll ask you about is, you know, I see a bunch of guitars on the wall behind you. Clearly, uh, you like to play. So what are you playing these days and what are you listening to these days? <laughs> no, it, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've actually been inspired by uh, Stranger Things, and so uh, looking to um, resurrect some Metallica. Uh, you know, I love love hard rock, love love all rock in all forms. Really, um, I am not good enough to play Metallica, but I think I might be good enough to to hit the chords in the background while uh, you know watching Stranger Things and letting Eddie kind of riff over Absolutely. over top of me. Um, so nice. as far as listening goes. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, what have I been listening to? Well, you know, I have been listening to, uh, Rage Against the Machine because, uh, like three years ago before the pandemic, when they said they were going to do their tour, we got tickets and, uh, never got to see them and going to see them in like two weeks. So I'm super amped about that. Um, not my normal everyday listening to, but, uh, but, you know, it's definitely something that teenage Ryan was. was oh, you got, you know, you have to, you have to do that sort of thing. Um, when so so longtime listeners of the show know that i am an irrational fan of evanescence it's like that 13 year old girl inside of me just can't let go of how much i love amy lee's music and like, she's great and so they're coming to town they're coming to salt lake in a few months and i was like oh i should get tickets and my wife was like yeah hey, I'll, I'll go with you it's not her favorite music you know but she's like i'll go with you but it's the same kind of thing where it's it's like I, I'd never seen them live, 
And I owe it to my 15 year old self to just do it. I to just go see him, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I went to buy tickets and I called into the other room. I'm like, Hey, Sarah, uh, they're touring with corn. And she's like, Eh, we don't have to stay for corn. Let's just go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Oh. Uh, anyway, I, I think I would enjoy. <laughs> see, I've seen corn a few times and they're, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I've seen corn a few times and, you know, I, they're, they're, I don't want to say they're hit or miss because there's going to be some hardcore fans that are going to be, you know, really upset with me. But when they're on, they're amazing. And then I've seen them twice where they were like, I don't know, I think maybe they're just burnt out from the tour and it was, it was not as, as impactful. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if Evanescence is, you know, on the hard end of what you listen to, corn. No, 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 no. I, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not exactly Drew McCaffrey from Inking Out Loud. I'm not the, the metal <laughs> fan that he is, but uh, no, I, 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 look, I can rock, okay? All right? So with that, I don't know. That was a long sure. musical tangent, okay, yeah. but uh, let's, okay, let's call it there. Everybody's yelling at their speakers. Why are you still talking about this? So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Ken, thanks for reading along and joining on this author shelf. And especially thank you to Ryan Van Loan. Everybody go check out uh, the new book, The Memory in the Blood, that's part three of the series. So yeah, go check out the whole series if you haven't yet. Uh, and Ryan, again, thanks for choosing this one. And we appreciate you coming on the author's shelf. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a blast. Good, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And for everybody else, don't forget, thelegendarium.com is where you can sure. find links to Patreon, uh, to the Discord, where you can join in the conversation. Um, our Discord server is lovely and wonderful, and you should all be there because uh, screw the rest of the internet. Who cares, right? It's all about our Discord server. That's it. Um, and it has mellow tones like Amy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>